Welcome to an episode of Weekly Weights. We lift weights and we are mates. On the weekend, we go on dates. Weekly Weights, Jim and Buddy. Weekly Weights with Alex and Will. Kablamo. Wasn't it blammy? Yeah, it was blammy. You just, I just changed wanted to, it. Yeah, it's a motif now. Like, you know, with motifs, you like develop them. You know, you don't just have the same thing over and over again. It's like, think of a think of a famous song like, um, I don't know, like Pirates of the Caribbean theme. You know, they've got the da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And then like later in the movie, they'll have it slowly like... Yeah, I can actually. I can relate to that because we're watching Harry Potter at the moment. Yeah, that's a classic it's example. The same, the same piece of music. Yeah. In different keys or different tempos, just for two and a half hours times by eight movies. Yeah, so <laughs> that's a lot of music. But that's the thing is like program music is all about theme and variation. Like you establish a theme, so you've got the you've got you know Harry's theme or like whatever the Hogwarts theme or something like that. And then to suit the mood of a piece, sometimes they'll transpose it or like they'll they'll impose it. Yeah, over they've got the minor chords. Yeah, they've got that. the like when something eerie is happening version, then they've got like the cheery version. And, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. And like it's it's that it is familiar that makes it more effective. You know what I mean? Tugs on the heartstrings a bit. So for that reason, sometimes when we start, I'll say kablamo, and sometimes when we start, I'll say blammy. What about kablammy? You never know. That could come up if it's the right vibe, just on a given day. <laughs> You know? Good start. Good start. All right. So. This, is, this is Weekly Weights. I'm Alex. I'm Will. What episode are we up to? We're up to episode 70. Good grief. And we just passed 70,000 downloads. How many weeks has it taken us to get to 70? Um, Trick question, because it's actually less than 70. It's, it's about 66 or something, hey? We did two a week for f- five weeks, mm-hmm. and then we missed one week. So, 65 weeks. 66 weeks See, oh wow my guess was good 66 weeks guys 70 weekly episodes of weekly weights so far and we're running out of steam aren't we we are running out of steam and because of that we brought you another very clickbaitily titled episode which is called 7 ways to improve as a coach ironically delivered by us yeah <laughs> um, this was this was a really painful episode of self reflection for me to put together yeah our planning was about <clears throat> 10 seconds worth yeah um, but no it is like in all seriousness it's seven seven things that Alex and I both consider important as coaches that we think c- could help most people's practice and in my case the things I wrote down are also the things that I endeavour to do on an ongoing basis. So this certainly isn't from me coming from like an I'm the finished product um, place. It's more it's more coming from like a, these are the things that I want to continue to do to try and be a better coach over time. Yeah, place. and to be honest, it, the fact that we would notice these things means that like these are things that we need to work on as well. In fact, something that um, we had a really great discussion <clears throat> after our episode. Actually, this happened two weeks in a row. Um, after our episode with Eric Helms, but we also had the same discussion with Bryce Lewis um, when we when we sort of stopped recording, which is that like doing this podcast itself has been a great opportunity for Alex and I to learn, both because we talk to really smart people quite regularly, but also because we're forced to sort of iterate and justify our own positions over and over and over again. And then there's been a few times recently where I've trained clients and I've said or done things and I've gone yeah it's funny I've like in the past even publicly said that I wouldn't necessarily do that e.g. saying chest up in the deadlift which Alex loves um, but in like in more meaningful ways as well and so I think even just the process of reflection and 
and sort of thinking like, how could I do this better? What ought I change? And what information or what takeaways can I take from the information that's being presented to me to improve my own practice is important. So with luck, what we say today will be of use to you. And if it's not, then at the very least, hopefully it'll be entertaining. Um, so anyway, seven things, which uh, might end up being expanded to like eight or nine, but we're going to have, we're going to have seven broad brackets. Yep. So let's start with the first one, which was one of my suggestions. And that's, I think that you should seek to have at the very least a basic grasp of anatomy and biomechanics. And then over time you want to refine them more and more. Um, so personally, I have an undergraduate degree in exercise and sports science, part of which meant I did a year of, um, of functional anatomy. And then I did two or three biomechanics units as well within that. Some of which was immediately applicable to lifting weights, um, because lifting weights is a pretty simple exercise in like figuring out how gravity acts around like a number of joints. But some of it wasn't immediately applicable and some things that I've gone on and learned since have really built on that foundation. But definitely just having that broad grasp has made assessing movement and assessing deviations in movement and stuff much easier for me because once you have a, just a basic grasp of what muscles do where, where they originate, where they insert, you know, like what, yeah, basically what their actions are and how things like, you know, forces and torques and stuff work in the simplest sense when you see a movement in front of you, you can say, you know, which muscles are likely to contribute to this movement, which muscles mightn't be doing this job or where is the load being shifted to or away from and things when you see the changes in the person in front of you. So to me, just having that stuff foundationally makes assessing technique and, you know, even modifying exercises to purpose for a, for a person much easier. Alex, what do you think? Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I've done um, a couple of anatomy units at uni even though I didn't finish my degree. Yeah, that's all right. Probably um, important stuff got out of there. Yeah, a couple. Of, I did a couple of anatomy units and I did a, uh, did one biomechanics unit. Word on the street is that you don't even have to pay your hex debt back yet. No, I've already paid it. Oh, really? Yeah, I Hell finished, yeah. finished well paying done. it off Far like out. A, this a few guy, months ago. Dollar bills. What, you just do it in one lump sum? Say so like, fuck that, that's chump change. I right? did it in two sums. Hectic. Yeah. Good job. I don't, know, I don't know how much it was. It was too much. For well, it was not, not getting, much. I was not getting say, any paper. Did about a semester of uni. <laughs> Get out of there with a six-figure debt. <laughs> but yeah, I did. I did two full. I did two half degrees. So basically, one full degree for nothing. Yeah, but it's not basically one full degree because you don't get two no, halves no, of a piece I mean. of paper. That but that's what I mean. Like I've yeah. paid for one full degree yeah. and received nothing. Anyway. Anyway, so but, but yeah, you did I, do a couple of yeah, I always look back on. I've still got some of the booklets, and I like even look back on, um, particularly the functional anatomy stuff. Like mm. even now to this day, like when I'm when I'm confused about stuff, I've got diagrams that I've drawn that can help me rationalize things that I want to do in a program or the way I want an exercise to be executed and stuff like that. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very very important to um, have that foundation just before you learn a lot else. Yeah. So I've- I guess like what are the what are some ways who outside of university if people are listening to this mm-hmm. what are some good courses or um, maybe websites on the internet or what are some ways that people can improve their knowledge of biomechanics and anatomy okay so I'm going to refer to two guests on the show that have been very big helps to me um, so first at a really foundational level is Greg Knuckles and if you go on Stronger by Science, he has free how-to squat, bench press, and deadlift definitive guide um, booklets, and the articles are viewable on the internet. 
And I actually referred to them myself recently, and I'll tell you why in a moment. Um, but but they have just some basic explanations of you know joints, torques, forces, things like that, uh, muscles, their actions, some diagrams, just helpful stuff. And particularly if you are a lifter, you'll have enough experience in doing the movements themselves that what he says will sort of immediately like corroborate your own experience. So it's a pretty easy way to wrap your head around basic concepts. And he writes them really clearly and well. So they're excellent. Um, And another person to look at and somebody who I've spent a lot of time trying to learn from recently is Jamie Smith, um, who's been on the show twice now. He's from Melbourne Strength Culture. He and Charlie, their head powerlifting coach, are both very well versed in anatomy. And they've they've probably taken it a step further with their education in um, in some like corrective exercise schools and things. So you know Jamie's got some PRI backing and things, but he's also got a background in S and C, and he's sort of melded a lot of those fields together um, to help teach and correct just subtle technical issues in things like squat bench and deadlift. So those two are great places to look at. You can look at Melbourne Strength Cultures YouTube for some really good lifting based explanations that are drawn from these principles. And you can check out Greg Knuckles' content. The reason I was referring to his stuff is because um, JPS are going to put out a powerlifting coaching, um, powerlifting coaching education module at some stage, for which I'll be doing some biomechanics-based stuff. I'm going to contribute a little bit to it, and there'll be a whole lot more in that. So hopefully that will be helpful too. But I would say Greg's and Jamie's stuff are a really good, really good place to go just for a first-pass knowledge of it. I think this is. Um, this is something that's actually really neglected in your basic um, your basic PT education. Like when you do a Cert 3 and 4 in my classes, they sort of said like X muscle is worked by X exercise, but there was no explanation of actually what that muscle does or, you know, like like what its actual joint actions are. They yeah, literally we, said bench press works your pecs. We had, um, we had anatomy as a class when I did my Cert 3, mm-hmm. and it was like the... So, so I went to TAFE and it was a whole semester for Cert 3, whole semester for Cert 4. Mm-hmm. And the eight weeks of, I think it was eight weeks, eight weeks of anatomy yeah. was like equivalent to one week of the of structural anatomy at uni. Like yeah. it was so general. Yeah. Ours was basically like, this is a bone. Yeah. This is a joint. This is a hinge joint. This is a ball and socket joint or something. Yeah. Like it was about that much. So anyway, I'll check out those two guys. Um, both I, of their content's excellent and I think Khan Academy does some stuff I'm, I'm not su- certain I'm surprised when you said like two of our podcast guests I was expecting you to mention Luke Tullock's um, physiology course well I actually haven't gone deep into his anatomy and biomechanics content of that I've looked at some of the course itself um, and certainly the basic physiology stuff is really good and that's something I could probably tack on to here as well as being really worth learning um, but I actually don't know how much biomechanics and anatomy that he does in there okay but those two those two especially are great if you do want a grounding in physiology then absolutely luke's stuff is excellent and it's very well communicated and highly relevant to coaching athletes um but yeah i think one of the reasons this stuff in particular for powerlifting coaches is so important um and i think so overlooked is just because of the way it helps you sort of steer away from dodgy technical practices or at least like Alex said allows you to to more quickly justify why technical changes may or may not be beneficial to somebody and why exercise modifications may or may not be congruent with the goal that you have so if you have this stuff then coaching lifting just becomes much easier I think anyway cool do you want to go on to number two 
Yep. So number two, the second thing that will help you improve as a coach is learning the principles of programming. Um, so there's a couple of ways you can go about learning these. We'll get into them at the end, but it's extremely, extremely important when you are coaching powerlifters that you know how to write a correct program to get someone stronger for a competition. And it's more than just manipulating a few variables because we have to understand what the different variables are and how they interact with each other. Um, what else do you have to add to that? Nothing. I think they're they're fundamental. And I think um, the more that you learn about programming principles, and this is something that's become really apparent to me, again, doing this show and writing articles and stuff, the more you learn about programming principles, the more complicated it might get in your head, but hopefully the more the more clarity with which you will look at programming. So although, like, here's a good example. Um, most of the benefits of increased frequency are due to the fact that they allow you to get through more productive volume. Um, you know, probably not all of them, and that's a little simplistic. But but if you if you learn a whole lot about programming principles, you might find a whole lot of confusing data that eventually gives you that perspective. And if you are able to distill it to that while still having a bit of nuance in the back of your mind, then when you go to make decisions about programming for your own clients, then you can say, well, like fundamentally, what is important about making these changes to frequency? Like, what am I really trying to achieve? More effective work. You know, am I able to do that by making these changes to my client or will I detract from the amount of effective work that I do? Yes, no. Make some value-based judgments and things and go on. So if you have a firm grounding in the principles, then making modifications to programming is way, way easier. So yeah, it's just fundamental to what you do. Yeah, I think it's um, good to be able to understand the principles and then go and have a look at a couple of popular powerlifting programs mm-hmm. and then rate the way that they use the variables yeah. and sort of try and understand for yourself and try and look at it for yourself why they use particular things and you know maybe think like, oh, I would have done something different here, I would have done something different there. Yeah. And instead of just thinking like X program is good, Y program is bad, yeah. think you know, maybe this part of X program is good, but they're missing something here. And maybe this part of Y program is bad, but this part of it is good. Mm-hmm. And sort of learn from a principle standpoint what you can take from different places and then how you can use that to apply to your own programs. Yeah, and it might, it might even be that you can look at both programs and say, well, they both satisfy the important principles in very different ways. And so one or the other might be situationally appropriate. And then you go from... You go from, like Alex said, having this binary view of, is this program good? Is this program bad? I'm going to apply it to everyone. You go from that binary view to more of like a an art of saying, well, which of these is actually going to suit the other needs that I've identified of this person in front of me better? Or what aspects of this approach, like Alex said, can I adopt to meet the needs of this client better whilst being mindful of their own limitations or needs? Yeah. So super important. And in exactly the same way, it's like learning about um, exercises and how you can apply them into a, into a program and uh, different ways that you can use them to satisfy different goals. Like, you know, you might hear someone say such and such exercise is a bad exercise or such and such exercise is a good exercise. You need to be able to justify from a principle standpoint why, why not, where you could use it, where you wouldn't use it, etc., etc. And the yeah. same thing applies to like when you hear stuff like, you know, uh, high volume is good, low volume is bad and shit like that. It's like yeah. you have to be able to justify 
You have to be able to understand it on a fundamental level and then justify where you might use it and where you wouldn't use it. Yeah, and more likely than not, the more you understand it, the more you'll think that's a context-based statement almost always. Not just that example, but like yeah, pretty much everything, yeah. Yeah, and you said one other thing there that was really important to me, which is unusual for you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I'd really love to recall it. But if I don't, then we'll have to move on. And if I do, I'm going to interrupt you just brutally. So why don't, why don't you start? Why don't you start introducing number three? And when I remember the thing I was going to say about programming, <laughs> what did I say? Hmm? What did I say? On a, was it an exercise? Was it bad exercises? Good and bad exercises. Good and bad exercises. Good, good and bad execution of exercises. No, I don't know. Why don't we go to number three? I'm right. trying to remember this. So number three was continue to upskill and what does that say don't stop learning don't stop learning that so, is the, that looks like mentors. oh mentoring oh. don't don't stop mentoring so Alex is crippled with that having says, to read my own it says it looks a bit like it says N-E-I-T-A something that's Why? it just trails off that looks like a comma but it says mentoring so number three is upskill yourself and don't stop learning. Seek mentoring. <laughs> um, and we've already sort of begun alluding to it in the past two past two points, which is to say that learning from other people and continuing to expand on your knowledge of biomechanics, anatomy, and programming principles is going to set you in really good stead to make your own judgments as a coach. Um, it's it's imperative that you don't rest on your laurels once you do have a bit of knowledge. Um, And so I think seeking mentoring from experienced people, even if there are aspects of your own knowledge that you think surpass theirs, being being able to identify in other people that they have expertise that you don't um, and seeking mentoring from them, continuing to upskill. So doing things like looking at, you know, Luke's physiology courses or the stuff that JPS put out or the stuff that, um, that Jamie's intending to put out for education, looking at things like that and basically trying to patch up the holes in your knowledge is going to take you a long way towards improving your coaching practice. Cause almost invariably everybody's pretty good at a few things and somewhere between poor and, you know, less than pretty good at other things. And so being able to, you know, patch those weaknesses up is exactly like patching yourself up as a lifter. It's saying, you know, what can I do to make my overall package better? Yeah, and when you are coaching people, you'll have things, certain things that you have trouble with. Mm. Like if you have um, a certain technique that you struggle to teach to people yeah. or a certain um, issue that continues to come up in, you know, someone's programming or a particular issue that comes up, you know, with someone's lifting when weights get above a certain percentage, you can then um, use that information to figure out what holes you need to fill. Mm. And it becomes pretty obvious, like, where you are lacking knowledge. And then, you know, if you know how to, like, fill those gaps, then you can go ahead and do that. Yeah, and I think a good a good example of exactly that is for a few of my lifters, and this has particularly been a problem for me with early, like, new lifters and early intermediates, because um, I find coaching advanced lifters much easier, if I'm honest, um, <laughs> with... with like new lifters and early intermediates for me as intensity started to creep up many of my lifters for a long time seemed to have this like very abrupt drop off in performance and so for a long time I was thinking well what's wrong I spent a lot of time ingraining good technique and ingraining understanding in them of what they had to do and it was only with a lot of my own study and thinking about um, 
thinking about coaching and queuing and the role of feedback and things. I wrote an article about this a while ago, but we also got a great presentation from Rob Flett, who's been on the show, about it at Lyft. It was only with a lot of thinking about that that I started to change my approach in teaching people lifting, and that's been a relatively recent relatively recent change. And what I've found is instead of people being saddled with you know those same issues when the weights start creeping up now that I've been introducing to lifting, most of them go from this stage of like being a bit awkward and gawky with lighter weights to just being better at freeing themselves up and letting themselves lift more automatically. Um, what was that? What did you actually learn? So I think I spent a lot of time in my initial coaching practice like conveying information. So I'm reasonably eloquent and I'm reasonably well-learned. So I can usually explain to people... Shout out Potty. Shout out Potty. Um, but I can usually explain... I can usually explain to people what I'm trying to get them to achieve, why it's important, what contributes to it, and how and how that's reflected in their current technique. So... Uh, anecdote. Anecdote. Yeah. I remember one of the first times you were explaining... I think you were teaching me how to low bar squat. Yeah. This was like... Um, would have been the end of 2014 after I did my first comp. Oh yeah, I did my first comp. I did my first comp high bar, yep. third attempt, backrounded bar went over my head. Yep, classic story. Classic, yeah. Um, so Will and Doug, who I was training with quite frequently, were both squatting low bar and had had competed a few times. And I wanted them to teach me how to squat low bar. And I asked Will, and he explained for about five minutes why and how and this need to do this 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 and this and I was like dude I didn't get any of that information just tell me what to do yeah and you like <laughs> you went on this full backstory about like why it was important why this was important and I was like dude I do not care just <laughs> tell me exactly what to do yeah, okay. yeah none of that <laughs> none of that sank in yeah exactly um I still don't know what you said yeah well I mean I can tell by the way he's quite so um so no like as in I I used to think much more of coaching as a bit of a transfer of information. So I yeah, tell like teaching. Yeah, I tell you X, you understand, so then you go and do Y. And much more I've realized that coaching is more um, or and technical teaching in general is more like self discovery. So initially, you know, people need guidance and things because they have no idea what good and bad feels like, so they need a lot of help to get into the positions that feel strongest. Um, and they need feedback from you to tell them that was good, that was bad, because they don't have very strongly developed systems to get intrinsic feedback themselves. Um, but you know, once they develop basic competency and stuff, you start to withdraw that feedback a little bit and get them to do more self-assessment and have them more and more reliant on their own appraisal of what feels good and bad. And you can kind of help them troubleshoot, but ideally you want them to do a lot more of their troubleshooting of their own technique. Um, and again, like I think being able to convey what you want them to do why it's important and stuff is great and also having that knowledge yourself obviously helps you make better judgments so I still do do that here and there and I still do get a lot of questions from people because that's part of why they want me to coach them but I've moved much more towards letting people basically figure it out for themselves and using my ability to sort of create the right environment for them to figure it out and also not being afraid to just make them do things that are a little bit harder so that if they make a mistake, they can go, well, fuck, that felt bad. I'm going to fix that error next time. I used to be a lot more tentative because I was like, unless I can demonstrate competency and understanding, I'm not going to push them. Whereas it's really the act of pushing them that lets them develop competency and understanding provided that you do it right. So I've changed that in my approach. That's probably been certainly in the past three or four months really concentrated, but in the past six months to a year, something I've really actively tried to do and the results that my clients have gotten have gotten much better. 
Yeah, if if you look at like how you would explain something to something to JB versus how you'd explain something to someone newer who's not a coach, mm. it's like that person who's newer and not a coach, they don't need to understand all the things that are like justifying your decision to tell them what to do. Yeah, they just want to be told what to do and how to do it. Yeah, so it's almost like you have to. I guess this comes back into what we're going to talk about in a minute, but like you have to taper your communication to who you are talking to. Yeah, and I think well, even with the newer people. So, for example, when I talk to JP. I give him very sparse technical feedback now. Like, I change his programming here and there to get him to do things. And I'll point, like, I'll point out that he makes X and Y error. Almost always, he's already aware of it. Like, I don't need to tell JP that squat was shit because he'll usually be like, man, that was shit. Um, You know, I'll just be doing things like gauging how fatigued he is, how it feels, and saying, hey, like, you know, can we focus on X, Y, and Z? I just direct his attention, let him fix it. Um... Other people will still obviously ask me what am I trying to achieve here and stuff. I just don't go blurting out all the information that they need. And I love it when they draw their own connections. So like one of my clients who is just learning to lift, Josh French, we've mentioned him on the show a couple of times. Does he listen? No. Uh, <laughs> he was meant, he he's was meant to score. He? Yeah, he's competing in like oh, three weeks. Yeah, I saw him on the list. Yeah, and like for context, guy was due to squat four sets of six at 52 and a half kilos on Tuesday. He's like a 70 five kilo male so he's not like a particularly strong lifter ended up doing his sets of six at like 77 the other day because he was just plainly gotten better at squatting right which is feeling himself just feeling himself um (laughs) but he's had problems with you know like lumbar pelvic positioning and awareness and being able to find and hold hip tension and stuff like that and so i've given him a whole bunch of drills and things but i haven't really explained to him how they're all related necessarily like i just say hey you want to do this like it's important to be able to control mm. control where your hips are it'll help you when you squat but it was only the other day when he was doing a plank and i was cueing him to like you know bring his ribs under and also oh, bring his hips under and like connect his ribs and pelvis where he was like oh this feels just like how i feel when i do my good squats and i was like yeah that's exactly right and then we spoke about it then and he because he had drawn that conceptual link himself it meant a lot more Whereas if you can't actually demonstrate the connection between those two things, then you're just throwing information at people that doesn't stick. Yeah, and Brandon had a similar um, situation with his client, Eric. Yeah. Um, he was trying to teach him how to hip hinge and he was really struggling like with a dowel rod and with a bar and then he got him on a back extension later on in the session. Yeah. And then Eric said to him, oh, this is like the deadlift. And he was like, ah. Yeah. But again, um, this has actually gone a long way from what we were initially talking about, which is upskilling and don't stop learning slash get mentoring. But being willing to self-appraise and say, what am I good at? What am I bad at? And how can I improve my practice is really important. And the way that you get that awareness is that you get mentoring from people who can look at you from an outside eye and say, hey, Will, you gave me five minutes of shit that didn't help about my low bar squat. Or who say, hey, Will, like, you know, whatever it is, like your knowledge of anatomy is not that good. Um... You know, having that information or having somebody able to give you that from an outsider's perspective helps a lot and exposing yourself to new information also highlights what you don't know so you know when I read papers or I read something that Luke's written or listen to Jamie speak or something I am made aware of the unknown unknowns and they become known unknowns and I go well fuck like that's broadened my horizons a little bit I'm going to get better as a coach by figuring that stuff out and seeing how it relates to my own experience yep you know? mm-hmm. Do we want to go on to number four or do you have anything to add? Um, who have you been mentored by, you would say? Um, chiefly, I think Amir from Adonis. When I started coaching, I spoke to him quite a lot about coaching. But at Lyft, I do spend a lot of time talking to other people and trying to get trying to get sort of insights into their own disciplines. So Luke is somebody. 
I've been mentored a bit by Dave Welch, who I worked with at Bondi Fitness First. He spoke to me quite a lot about the soft skills of personal training and developing a business. That was very helpful. Um, Lewis McLean, who was my first PT, was also somebody that I spoke to quite a lot when I was beginning personal training and when I was just beginning training and coaching others and things to get his insights um, into what he was doing, why he did it, and coaching too. But also I just picked up a lot from observation. And I wouldn't say that we have a mentoring relationship necessarily, but you and I are more like aware enough of what each other are doing that usually when I'm having an idea or I'm not really sure how to reconcile my own thoughts with what I'm doing in practice, I can come and speak to you. Yeah. So I have a network of people that even if I don't have direct mentoring relationships with them, I think I can speak to and sort of get an idea of what I'm doing and how I could do it better. Mm-hmm. You? I um, mean, you work with Thomas, don't you, directly? Well, yeah, but my lifting started, you know, in high school and our S&C coach for rugby was like a great mentor for me initially, like just teaching me the very very basics of training mm. um his name was Den- his name is dennis yates shout out dennis um Has and then he come to lift and train a couple of times nah who's that somebody from scott's was it oh that's trent yeah that yeah. was that was gonna be, my ne- gonna be my next one so then i worked at scott's college um and i was mentored by trent Yee, who he used to be a member at lift he yeah. now owns his own facility um he does like um uh, athletic development for teenagers and stuff. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, so he helped me a lot um, when I was working at Scott's, just like with pretty much everything. I started there with almost no knowledge and came out a much better coach. Um, and then from there, just everyone who's coached me. So Hanny, uh, Amir, Jacob, JP. And then now, like formally with Thomas, I'm doing his coach development course. So we're just going through um, his entire system and he's basically justifying his entire system and helping me improve all of my skills from like a teaching teaching programming um cueing coaching everything and has it helped yeah absolutely there you go thomas alex approved yeah we're only like probably a quarter to a third of the way through it so we've got like many many weeks to go but it's been so it's a course it's not like a yeah yeah it's ongoing like one one weekly catch-up for an hour right yeah cool um all right, so number four is... Um, we're already on number four. Oh, no, we're not. No, we're not. But no. number three and number four are essentially the same. Number four is to be coached by other people and expose yourself to a variety of training styles. Um, Alex, why is it important? Um, I think it's important to be on the other end of the client-coach relationship mm. and see how people communicate and interact, how they write programs, how their programs look how things are periodized, how they plan, all that kind of stuff, how they communicate. Um, We want to see lots of different styles so that we can, for ourselves, decipher what we like, take pieces from here, take pieces from there. Mm. Um, So I've been coached by my training for three different people and nutrition for two different people. Mm. And I've learned different things from all of them. And I would say that, and obviously from Thomas as well, and I would say that now my coaching is kind of an amalgamation of all of those. Yeah. Like I mean, I've taken inspiration from, you know, some inspiration from Amir, some inspiration from Hanny, some from JP, some from Jacob, some from Thomas. Yeah. And it's all kind of developed into my system. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with everything that you said. And I think, just like I said, the sort of upskill and mentoring stuff exposes you to what you don't know. Being coached and trained by others and even just just watching other people and how they train um 
sort of lets you know where you've got the blinkers on in your own training and attitudes. Um, so, you know, even when you coached me in the back end of last year, like we had a couple of discussions about this. You did 10 weeks of coaching with me and it was nothing remarkable that I hadn't already thought about. But, but just by being the athlete in that scenario, instead of looking at the programming, made me think about like how I could improve my own practice. Like you had slightly less accessory work, but a focus on quality in it, things like that. Or, you know, the way in which you distributed loads across the week, little changes to the structure in your programming, just little things. And just how my programs look. How attractive, yeah. attractive they are. Yeah, your programming <laughs> template is definitely better than mine. That's something I haven't taken on board. But but that stuff, you know, it like it brought home to me the things that I put less emphasis on myself as a coach that from an athlete's perspective can sometimes be quite important. There's that. And then the second half of number four was training in a variety of styles. And I think for the most part it's important for the reasons that you said, as it gives you a big toolbox with which to sort of build your own systems or or build your own repertoire. But I also think it just gives you experience because more likely than not, the more you know about training and the more people you train, the sort of broader your palette of exercises and programming structures and stuff that you're going to have to use are going to have to be. And unless you have some experience in sort of doing what you're prescribing to people and can sort of empathize and figure out, you know, what it might feel like for them and what they're experiencing it's pretty hard to actually do effective coaching. Um, I remember ages ago, one of my first online um, online clients was a mate of mine um, and he he initially started training, training with me for strength training and he wanted to do a triathlon and I ended up preparing him for a triathlon successfully, which is funny because I've Just got Lord. no background in that. Yeah, that's Lloyd. Shout out, Lloyd. Um, yeah, like it was a debacle. But I remember writing him this programming and and just going like, I have absolutely no idea what this is going to be like, how it'll feel. And, you know, when he would write to me saying, like, I'm really buggered, I'd be like, I Sweet. bet. <laughs> yeah, like, that seems hard. pretty tiring. <laughs> um, but, like, I just didn't, I didn't have the skill set to draw um, to draw upon to help him. But he wanted to work with me because he knew me, even though I said he'd be better to work with someone else. Um, and so, so that highlighted to me how important it is to, yeah, just just have like a broad base of knowledge within the field that you're going to work in because if you ask people to do shit you should be able to you know in your mind put yourself in their shoes yeah Yeah. and you know even if you do see yourself as coaching only powerlifters there are times when powerlifters need to do things that aren't powerlifting oh big time so we need to be competent enough to coach people through a bunch of different movements whether it's like you know, some strongman stuff or some, you know, definitely not weightlifting, but, yeah. you know, like other variations of squat or other variations of deadlift, etc. We need to have those things at our disposal so that we can help our athletes get better all year round, not just when they're prepping for a comp. And that's where, again, going back to point one, having your basic biomechanics and anatomy stuff can help. Yeah. If it's just changing lifts, you know, you should be able to do an assessment of the lift that you are coaching people and say, well, what's going to be the important aspects of this? You might know all the tips and tricks. Like, I can't log clean and press for shit, but I can vaguely tell you what's going to be important and challenging about doing a log press as compared to an overhead press normally. Yeah, or understanding the different demands of a um, on on the um, on the system of a front squat versus a low bar squat. Yeah, and understanding like, you know, we may need to take some quad volume away because we're going to have more quad volume in the front squat blah 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 whatever yeah all these things tie in alright do you want to talk about number 5 or do you want to have a quick break because we're at halfway and a bit yeah let's have a quick break we'll uh, we'll be right back after some words from our sponsors 
<laughs> That'll do. <laughs> Weekly words. We don't have any sponsors. Weekly Waits, we're back. Unfortunately, no sponsors this week, Alex. You had me going. When I stopped recording, I was like, like dollar signs in my eyes. Like, are we making money? Are we making money? But no, no yeah, sponsors we're, this we're week. We're considering trolling Robert Wilkes and intimidate, uh, imitating him. Yeah. But and we're the people's powerlifting podcast. We're not just Robert Wilkes' powerlifting podcast, are we? No, but it would be a shot at Robert, which is always funny. Yeah, it's pretty funny. <laughs> and well-deserved. Um, we're up to number five of our seven things that make you a better coach. And here's my strength. Developing and refining soft skills. What do you think, Alex? Is that because you're soft as shit? <laughs> yeah, I'm soft, but I don't think my soft skills are very well developed. Okay, um, you suggested this one because I think it's BS. What's important about it? Why is it BS, first I'm, of all? I'm joking, oh, okay. Alex. Come so, on, yeah, um, You've got to be able to read people's emotions better. That's your problem, you know? Here I am just having a little laugh and you're jumping right down my throat like I'm being super mega critical of you. i got a short fuse, Will, you know oh, this. Yeah, I can tell. Okay, go on. Why are soft skills important? So, like, learning to communicate openly with people and with people of all different um, specifications, whether that be age or gender or um, ability or proficiency or whatever, Learning to communicate with people is how you're going to get them to buy in, which is essentially how you're going to get them to trust you, which is essentially how you're going to get them to do what you say, which gets them results. So if if you can't communicate effectively with your client, you can't tell them why they need, why they need to do something or how they need to do something or why this is important, um, they may not buy into you, buy into what you're saying. They may not do what you say. They might want to do something else. They might leave you or they may not give it 100% because they don't really believe what you have to say. And I've experienced this before. I had, I'm not going to name names, but I had a client who would always question things and I struggled to voice, um, I struggled to communicate effectively, like to answer the questions basically. Mm. And, you know, they ended up kind of being a little bit half-assed about doing everything and sort of not really committing fully. And then, you know, A, didn't do well, and then B, left. Right. So, um, and, you know, communicating could be anything from, like, talking about expectations to queuing to setting goals together to, God, I don't know, what else? Just even, like, getting to know someone and, like, learning about them and having an interest in what they're doing outside of training. I think also, um, like, jokes aside, soft skills are important. I am occasionally called abrupt by my clients. Alex is smirking. Um, but I do think consistency in communication is also something that's under underrated or undervalued. And I don't mean consistency like how frequently you talk to somebody. I mean the tone and terms with which you communicate to them. Obviously, if you're totally fucking it up, you want to like change how you're talking to somebody and that's an abrupt change that they'll probably notice. But... Um, but speaking in similar terms and dialing your praise up and down in ways that are like obviously attributable and relatable to their performance and their effort and things is also important. I think if if they walk in every day and can't really say like who is going to be coaching me, is it like you know Will the like relatively analytical one who's stingy with his praise, or is it going to be like Will bouncing off the walls like makes no sense guy? Will the drill sergeant? Yeah. Well, like as in, you know, if they just don't know what your character is going to be like on the day, I also think that that makes it harder for them to communicate to you what's what's happening because communication is reciprocal, right? They're expecting 
they're expecting to have a conversation with somebody that they're familiar with so that they can get the best back from you in training. And so, um, and so I think in some ways having your style with which you coach people and with which you communicate and the way in which you happen to express things like technique and intent and stuff for sets is important not just because it's like it's a reflection of you know the way in which you go about coaching but also because it gives them a platform with which to talk back to you and if there's not a degree of consistency to that then it's just harder for them um definitely something i've tried to get better at in my own coaching over the past like year or two especially is um is titrating or like just changing my manner to suit the individual but then being consistent with that once it's established because some of my clients like don't need a whole lot of praise and can deal with being ragged on all the time and stuff provided that we can like talk objectively about how they're going and some of my clients need much more of a shoulder to cry on and like here and there I'll have to say to them like basically suck it up and get back to training but for the most part those people also need they just need the dimmer switch with which you respond to how they're going to sort of actually go across a, a wider range like say that was average when it was average and tell them it was great when it was good whereas other people might just need to go somewhere between that wasn't your best and that was pretty decent most of the time you know what I mean yeah so part of I guess part of that is identifying like what kind of communication type you need for the given individual hmm. um, because you know you're going to talk differently to one of your like newer female athletes than you would to someone I don't know some guy who's a bit bit harder and kind of just takes it well for instance like i was training this morning my client linda linda is the girlfriend of my other client tim aka oh, yeah. t boogie i think she's very talented she'll be really t good boogie is that what we settled on yeah. is that, was that the best one i think so t pain <laughs> um but linda um she's got a sense of humor and stuff but she's a little bit shy because she doesn't know me um and she's like she's quite analytical and she's very diligent and you know, she asks questions and stuff, but like if you speak to her in a relatively level tone, explain what you're trying to do and give her just pretty objective feedback, like I can say that wasn't a good rep, and then the next rep say that was a good rep, and it's not going to take her on an emotional roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if with her, if I speak like mostly in business terms about training, she's pretty happy. And then Nick, my other client, the cop Alex, who trains mm-hmm. in the afternoons, yeah, with him. I can give him some directed feedback, but then as soon as possible, going back to very like bantery, you know, chatting like we're just the boys hanging out stuff, just puts him in the right mood emotionally. So again, like you said, it is exactly knowing who is in front of you and what they need. Yeah. Um, do you have much more to add on the soft skills element? I think um, what you said summed it up really well. No, I think that's it. All right, let's talk about number six then. So this is one that I suggested and it was don't specialize too early and look to other fields. So Alex already mentioned that occasionally powerlifters need to do stuff that's more like bodybuilding. So we'll get back to that because I think it goes a lot further than that. But I think if you want to be a good powerlifting coach, I don't think powerlifting coaching should be the first thing that you do. Um, Most of the really good powerlifting coaches that I know spent some time doing general personal training have trained people with a variety of goals for you know whether it was just bodybuilding and powerlifting through to like general health and fitness have done a variety of sports have sort of employed their skills in lots of places and part of why i think that's important is because it gives you a chance to develop all those basic fundamental skills we've spoken about so basic biomechanics and anatomy you know you develop the soft skills you learn how to communicate with clients 
you learn to sort of broaden your toolbox so you don't think of everything just through the lens of a squat bench and deadlift like it gives you all of that and then the reason I think that relate, relates to being willing to look to other fields um, is because how does how do I say this well okay powerlifters and I think this just comes from like the tribalism aspect of strength sports we think of like the squat bench and deadlift as being the be all and end all of physical performance and I reckon there's a systematic bias Alex tell me if you think this is correct I think if you were to get a cross section of coaches just you know SNC coaches and get the ones that have a powerlifting background I think the powerlifting ones would systematically overrate the not overrate overstate the generalizability of squat bench and deadlift performance like the powerlifting ones would be the ones who would be most likely to say if you can deadlift a shit ton you'll be a better athlete than an athlete who can deadlift less as opposed to the ones who have more of a backing in sport do you generally think that's true Mm -hmm. um and in some ways i think that is true because obviously maximum strength is like the most generalizable strength if you're if you are very, very strong, then it's easier for you to produce a given amount of force quickly and all that stuff as well. So there's some basis to which that's the case. Um, but I think you also need to be able to look at things in the reverse direction and say, well, you know, these are like building the squat bench and deadlift are my training goals, but there are other means that I can that I can do that with, um, that I can employ that might be most useful for the person in front of me and being completely myopically focused on developing those may not give you enough knowledge or exposure to those other means to be the best coach that you can be. I don't know if I said that very well, but does it make sense to you? Yeah, it does. And I can um, draw on personal experience for this. When I was just getting into powerlifting competing, Mm -hmm. that's all I wanted to do and that's all I wanted to coach others for. And I would kind of like, not force people, but like encourage people to do the main lifts as their like main form of training mm. and in doing that it really sort of narrowed my knowledge and narrowed my skill set and my ability to be able to communicate through other lifts and through other means yeah and i think that really like hurt my coaching for a couple of years because i had to go back and learn that other other different basic stuff mm. um, and i think that's like that's made a huge difference like obviously learning the stuff away from powerlifting has helped me be a better powerlifting coach which is like sounds weird but yeah well let me say what I said in a really long form before in a really short and less shitty way which is that just if you think that powerlifting can help everything else because you're a powerlifting coach chances are that people with a deep knowledge of everything else would look at powerlifting and say my knowledge could help powerlifters and very often they're correct um and if we talk about some of the people that we've had on this show that we've already referred to in this um, like in this episode, you know, Jamie being a good example, he's somebody who has gotten, you know, his his knowledge of like breathing and SNC where he was working with Eric Cressy, who I think does a lot with baseball players and stuff. But he's taken that knowledge of, you know, how the shoulder works, how um, how the core works and all of that and started applying it to help powerlifters and you know strength culture are relatively successful at doing that and he's done really well at helping people manage injury and train harder so there's there's an example where other knowledge has actually generalized well to powerlifting i think if you're too quick to specialize and you just yeah narrow your gaze too much then you miss all of those other lessons yeah yeah i think um 
we spoke about this when we did the seven ways to be a better lifter thing. Yeah. When we spoke about like broadening your sort of the training that you do and mm. who you listen to. Yeah. And I think it's like it's important in this as well. Like if if we have a powerlifter in a bodybuilding phase doing hypertrophy training and we have only done powerlifting coaching, you know, yeah. we should be looking at who are the best bodybuilding coaches in the world? How can I learn about hypertrophy training from them? Yeah. And, you know, if and even like strongmen, like some of the best deadlifters in the world are strongmen. Mm. You know, me, we may want to, you know, have a look at the programming that they that Eddie Hall did to get to a 500 kilo deadlift yeah. because that may help us. Yeah. But and, you don't have to forget entirely about powerlifting to learn a few things yeah. from somebody who does something else. Yeah. I think it might help you. Yeah. Those skills that we have as powerlifting coaches, you know, for the specifics of peaking for powerlifting, they're not going anywhere. Mm. We can just gain more knowledge elsewhere that might help us elsewhere. Yeah. Um, do you want to go on to number seven? Yeah. Okay. So the last one is kind of ties everything together. Yeah. And this is like the idea of developing your own system. And I kind of um, mentioned this earlier is we're taking, we're taking all the things that we've learned and all the things that um, we've experienced and heard from other coaches or read or whatever, all these things and we're putting them all together and we're taking parts from... You know, we might take something from anatomy from Jamie Smith. We might take something from uh, physiology from Luke. We might take some programming stuff from Eric Helms. We might take some psychology stuff from Bryce Lewis. And we're molding this all together to develop what we believe is the best system for developing the powerlifter. And by doing that, that's having that system, that set of sort of rules and beliefs, everything else ties back into that and we need to be able to justify all the decisions we make through that system what I um, I agree entirely I think it's worth adding as well that that system is not it's not fixed it's not static just like I said that upskill and mentoring and stuff sort of tells you where your blinkers are on your system should be something that you are constantly trying to refine and improve. I don't think anybody... Like, I reckon if we spoke to Boris Shako, which would be difficult because it would be in Russian, <laughs> um, but were we to speak to Boris Shako, the most successful coach, you know, in IPF history, I guess, is he? Mm. He'd have to be up there. Matt Gary, probably. Yeah, okay. Well, well even Matt is... And he's an example of somebody, when we spoke to him, he said, you know, recently I've come to do X, Y, and Z. Mm. A couple of times. Yeah, These are like, people who... And, like, I can even ask you this, Will, like... How different do your programs look now versus three years ago? Heaps. How different do your programs look now versus 12 months ago? Still plenty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like we're always we're always refining and developing our system. So what our system looks like on, what's the date? The 21st of August, 2019, is going to be different to what our system looks like on the 21st of August, 2020, mm. 2021. So it's, you've basically got, what you're saying is all of these things that you learn that, that like you said, are contributors to your system you then also have to reappraise your own practice against and say, well, is my practice now conforming with my beliefs and yeah. what I think to be good? Yeah. I think it can be very easy to sort of lazily say, well, what I do tends to work pretty reasonably well most of the time, so I'm not going to change anything about my practices in light of the things that I've learned. Mm. Um, and I think being willing to confront the, the dissonance between how you behave and what you now know or believe is really important if you want to get better. Yeah, and I think... If you can justify everything that you can do in your system, you can better communicate with your athletes. And even better, if you can't justify something, that's actually a really good... That's that's an avenue for learning. That's yeah. not something that you then don't acknowledge. You go, well, why can't I justify that? What do I need to know to do this better or answer that question? Yes. If your client says, oh, why are we doing deadlift singles, Will? 
you know, you have to be able to look into look into your system and say, you know, we do deadlift singles because X, Y, Z, and this, not because I said so. Mm. We have to be able to um, justify it with ourselves and rationalize it with ourselves within our system, and then we have to be able to communicate it effectively to the client. And and the reason being able to rationalize is so important is because systems need to be adaptable. And you know, like you know, here and there, I might have in my mind the five day template that I would like to use for most of my clients. But if there's one for whom that's just going to be inappropriate, being able to make that change is much easier when I have you know systems and principles underpinning it, where I can say, well, this is what I'm trying to achieve in that slot. What's the next best thing that I can do? Or you know, what modifications can I make to still get the overall effect that I want without um, without necessarily doing this thing that is not appropriate in the context of this client. Um, the other thing that I wrote down about principles, and I think this is really important and something I've started to think about more and more, is that your principle doesn't, or your principles, principles, systems, your systems don't just don't just pertain to what you think of as training. Um, your systems also encapsulate, you know, the way in which you communicate to clients, how you communicate to clients, how you deliver them programs, so your programming template. Um, <laughs> very important. Very important. Um, that's but, that's know, number even, eight, right? Well, <laughs> programming templates. Number eight, develop good programming templates. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but all of those things feed back as well because the experience that your trainee has working with you is not just defined by the program that you send them and the things that you say um, when they feed back to you. It's, you know, they're in their mind, they're interacting with your coaching service when they open Google Sheets to view your program or when they, whatever it is, email you or Facebook message you or text you or have a Skype catch up with you, whatever it happens to be. All of those aspects of your coaching service as well need to sort of conform to what your overall, your overall picture of what you want to do is. And if they don't, then that's an aspect of your service that you can improve. And I actually do think that having those things aligning properly can improve the results of your clients. I think I think giving them the experience with you that is like, yeah, this most aligned with what you want them to achieve and what you consider to be important is like critical. Do you agree? hundred um, percent. That's it. Cool. We'll have a break and then we're going to come back with a new... Oh, a new segment. A new segment. After our sponsors. Welcome back to Weekly Weights. This is a new segment that Alex thought of this week. I'm a little on the fence about it, but it's... Nah, it's going to be funny. It'll be fun. But it's underrated, overrated, or appropriately rated? Properly rated. Properly rated. Um, We each have to give each other something unprepared each week, um, just any item, but it has to be related to the gym somehow. And then the, the answer of whether it's over, under, or properly rated has to be with reference to powerlifting. So, things can be a bit of a stretch, but for this week, I'm going to make it a pretty easy one. Alex, Gymshark, over, under, or properly rated? I think very, very overrated. Overrated? Extremely overrated. Why is that? Um, I just don't think that their clothes are any better than other brands. Are they expensive? They seem to do better than... Muscle Nation and all those other ones. So you're saying overrated, not in the sense that they're bad, just like their rating is greater than their value. Like as in overvalued. Yeah, like if in, they were a stock, you in, would sell even though they're a good correct. business. It's yeah. like sell, buy, or hold. Yeah. I'm selling. Right. 
So, as in, you reckon they're doing well, though, basically? I think they're doing well, and I think they're doing better than they should be, Yeah, based on the quality. I would, my only comment for Gymshark, and I know you're listening, is that, like, all of their cuts of, like, shirts and tanks and stuff, they're really flattering if you're massive and have, like, a great taper, but, like, everybody else who buys them, it's literally aspirational clothing. And also, think. like, especially in powerlifting context, if you're wearing a stringer and you're trying to squat with a like bar with deep knurling on your back you're going to cut your back yeah, and also you're going to sweat all over the bench when you set up a bench yeah. and also you can't get chalk on a stringer because it's like two millimetres in the back right so yeah overrated overrated I will again just mitigating Alex's opinion a bit like my client Beck has worn some of Nick's Gymshark jumpers and stuff pretty cool yeah I, I um I think the the jumpers are cool yeah and the track pants are cool but just overrated just but on the bounce. In general, overrated. Okay, I'll take that. That's a good answer. Alright. Alright. Um Will. Overrated, underrated, properly rated. The SPD black on black range. <sighs> properly rated. Um, good, I agree. The SPD black on black range is really cool. It's easily the best range. It's like if that was their default, because I actually bought a new SPD suit last year. I needed one. And I was absolutely Devsky wanna that, <laughs> that the black on black range wasn't there anymore black on black range is great it should be their default option I think people thought I was going to say it's overrated because people got so hype on it but I think the hype was justified that was a great singlet and they should bring it back completely agree I mean the whole range though. we're talking wraps we're talking everything about sleeves socks good. shirt great agreed excellent top to bottom Absolutely, fairly rated. It's awesome. Glad, glad we agree. Would you like to borrow mine for Team Champs? Hell yeah. Thank Sweet. you. No worries. Yeah, man. All no right, worries. cool. Weekly Weights, episode 70. We're Follow out. me on Instagram, Alex Hayes underscore process. Change my handle. Oh, yeah, he did change his handle. I'm still the same old at W.BerkmanPT. You can find me there. Catch you later.